0: Midterm elections have finally come. After months of talking about election denialism, abortion, inflation, and other contentious topics, candidates have put their futures in the hands of Arizona voters. And the future on this day after the election remains, well, unclear. There were election tabulation problems in Maricopa County, and Democrats made a strong showing with early voting. But the outcome of the state's top races is unknown for the moment, because the Republican-leaning Election Day vote totals are still trickling in. Late last night, as polls closed, Arizona Republic reporters were just getting started. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. We won't have results today, but we'll give you a sense of how the races look late Tuesday night. Today, I'll be joined by various Republic politics reporters about the status of their races and what it means for the future of Arizona. First up, we're joined by Stacey Barchinger, who's been covering the governor's race between Republican Carrie Lake and Democrat Katie Hobbs for a while now. This is a very closely watched race. We were promised a budding national star in Carrie Lake. How is that looking so far as we speak on late Tuesday, early Wednesday?
1: Yeah, well, good morning, I guess. Uh, Fitz, budding national star, secured. A little bit ago, I went to the Arizona Republican Party's election night party up in Scottsdale, and I have never seen so many reporters gathered in one space. Um, Honestly, the back wall of this ballroom is lined with bright lights and reporters doing TV live shots and a whole separate section for those of us that work on laptops, print reporters. I think no matter the outcome of this race, we will be hearing much more about Kerry Lake in the years to come.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the status of this race as it stands. At, call it give or take midnight. <laughs> 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 Who's leading and how likely is this race to stay where it is now and how likely is it to flip?
1: Okay, so what we know right now Katie Hobbs, the Democrat, is leading Kerry Lake by about 10 points. That has represented a slightly narrowing gap as the night has gone on and more results have come in. Um, we absolutely anticipate that gap will shrink, that Cary Lake will close that gap at least somewhat as more election day votes are counted. I want to clarify when I say we, uh, I'm talking about you know people that have worked in elections in Arizona um, for decades people on the campaigns this is what they are telling me that they are watching for um, and we have a little bit of you know history that we can look to both in 2020 and in the primary we saw a shift where more people voted on election day what we know about those votes so far is about two are going for a Republican for every one that is going for the Democrat Katie Hobbs
0: do we have any sense of how many ballots there are still to count and whether there is a plausible path for Lake to still win this race?
1: Yeah. um, So my editor, Wyatt Buchanan, and I were just doing some fun math at my desk. um, And so with the caveat that this is, you know, midnight math, there is a path, we think.
0: We've heard from both women tonight what are they saying about this? And, and I guess we'll start with Carrie Lake because this is something that we saw in the primary when she was underperforming at the outset and the race sort of came around. But she was complaining even then about intimating that there was fraud or some kind of problems. How, what is her message tonight
1: So the first that we heard from her tonight actually, I think, offers a little bit of a contrast to that message in the primary. She says, let's be patient. We're going to count the votes, whether it takes days or hours. Of course, there's always a little bit from her about, we know we're going to win, we think it's going to be called within hours, but also sort of this recognition that this process might take longer than she wants it to. She has repeatedly said that she thinks all votes should be counted on Election Day, which for reasons we've covered is you know just impossible to do because of resources given the way the system works now. It's in sharp contrast to Katie Hobbs who of course is the state's elections chief who came out at 8:20, uh 20 minutes after the first results were released and said, you know, hang in there. We're going to be counting for days. We're going to party tonight. Be optimistic, but just a very clear message that what she has seen so far today is a free and fair election, no doubt in her mind about that. And then, you know, it's going to take a couple of days, but we'll get the results when we when we get them.
0: Have Republicans signaled this evening whether they expect this election still to go the way that many had in the days and weeks leading up to this? Are there any indications that they, the red wave that was promised – Maybe a lot smaller, perhaps, than what many had expected?
2: Well, let
1: me answer that this way. I think if you're Carrie Lake's team, you don't love seeing the lead that Katie Hobbs has. We certainly are expecting Democrats to be leading tonight, and the margins by which they are winning to narrow. But for Katie Hobbs to be up at one point tonight to 14 points, I don't think anybody was really expecting that. And so... I don't have a good line on the Lake campaign how they're feeling about that. They very much are projecting this image that they are fighters and they're in it until the end. Um, and so I guess we will see what happens there. Mm-hmm. I feel like the answer to that question would be better like on a national scope, but I just haven't I haven't had a good chance to like pay attention to how the other gubernatorial races have gone.
0: Yeah, I I haven't seen how they've been called. It just seems like it's it's a surprisingly good night for Democrats across the country in most places. But I, again, I have no confidence that that's necessarily how it ends. Okay, well, Stacey, thank you for sharing your insights as always. If people want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, um, they can follow me at S. Barchinger. It's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R.
0: Now, I'm going to turn to the U.S. Senate race that I've been covering. That features Democratic incumbent Mark Kelly against Republican Blake Masters. As we record this late Tuesday, Mark Kelly is up by about 15 percentage points and 217,000 votes. This race is still expected to tighten up considerably as the counting turns to those Election Day votes. The question is whether Blake Masters has enough votes left to be able to catch Kelly. The problem for Masters is a familiar one for Republicans running against Democrats in Senate races right now. They're losing big in Maricopa County and Pima County, where most of the voting is actually taking place. If you look at other parts of Arizona, these are Republican leaning, but they're still not seeing the volume that they need. We have to see that show up in the election day returns for Masters to be able to stage a real comeback. At the moment, Kelly looks like he's positioned well to be able to hold on and he made some remarks in tucson tonight thanking his supporters and suggesting that he is looking forward and optimistic though he stopped short of declaring victory and i'll
3: i'll I'll tell you what folks i am feeling confident tonight
0: now at the same time it doesn't look like we're gonna have the final results for a little while and that's OK. Now we turn to Mary Joe Pitzel with the Secretary of State's race. That is between Republican Mark Fincham and Democrat Adrian Fontes. This race has had a lot of national attention, Mary Joe, with a lot of that attention being focused on Mark Fincham. Why is that?
4: Mark Finch drew a lot of national attention because of his election denialism. He came out from the beginning and said, you know, Trump won. You know, there's no way Biden won this state. He held that meeting at the uh, the Hyatt Hotel soon after the 2020 election that brought out all these theories about, you know, how the election was stolen. And he's sort of stuck to that narrative. And that narrative has stuck to him even as the campaign moved along. And he tried to move the conversation more to election procedures or how he would administer the, the office and, most importantly, how his mantra became, just follow the law. And as much as he said that, I think voters still couldn't shake this image of the guy who was marching at the Capitol. You know, sending out sympathetic tweets and then talking about uh, sponsoring legislation that would override the will of the voters on their choice for president.
0: Let's talk about the race as it stands late Tuesday. Who is winning and what do we know about the votes that are in so far?
4: Fontes, the Democrat, is leading by quite a healthy margin, in fact, of all of the Democratic candidates for statewide offices. He has the, the biggest lead. It's important to remember that most of that is probably from the Democratic vote with a lot of the Republican vote yet to come in. But because the first batch of ballots to be dropped came from voters who voted early, that tended to be a very heavy Democratic vote. But he's um, outperforming his fellow Democrats on that.
0: And I presume from that he is gaining support from a handful of Republicans, it appears, who seem to be uncomfortable with the idea of a secretary of state, Fincham.
4: Yes, uh, probably more than a handful of Republicans. Um, Fontes did put together a coalition of independents and Republicans um, who support him. And you talk to these people and they are very concerned about the future of our elections. And could we have a secretary of state who they believe, could uh, try to not certify an election um, if he doesn't agree with who the winner is.
1: I am challenging Mark Fincham today to pledge that he will accept the final results of this election when we beat him tomorrow. I'm calling on him.
0: Okay, so we don't know the final results on this, as we have tried to make clear throughout. There are still a lot of Republican-leaning votes to come in the next day or so. Give us a sense, though, of what the future would look like under either of these men. Let's start with Fontes. What is it that he would bring to that office as best we can tell moving forward?
4: Um, I think he would probably sort of settle in, try to clean up some things, and then harking back to his experience as Maricopa County recorder, maybe trying to push the boundaries of what you can do. Um, He has been all about trying to widen voter access and make voting easier for voters. And, you know, that might mean loosening up a little, you know, maybe going to same-day voter registration, for example, which would be a really hard thing to get through the legislature. But he believes that there's some things that he could do um, with the Secretary of State's authority to widen voter access. Um, if Fincham were to become uh, Secretary of State, I think you would see him probably going, at, taking a really hard look at election returns, both in 2022 and maybe even back to 2020. Um, he is very troubled by any kind of, it appears, by any kind of irregularity that he believes would cast doubt on election outcomes. You know, he was very big on the voters who got, who did get charged um, in Yuma County, for example, for bringing back uh, multiple ballots. I think you would see a lot harder scrutiny of a lot of these kind of election glitches.
0: So as we look at the support that Fontes is picking up that exceeds even what we're seeing in the Senate and the governor's race, how much of this is because of the appeal of Fontes versus maybe the concern about Fincham?
4: It's probably more the latter—a concern, a sort of an anti-Fincham vote. At the same time, Fontes has, you know, stuck to a message of standing up for democracy, respecting the election process, and defending it. But having Fincham as an opponent has probably been a great gift to to Adrian Fontes.
0: Okay. Well, that will do it for the Secretary of State's race. We will stay tuned with the coming returns on that one. Mary Jo, if people want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you?
4: At Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L.
0: Now we're joined by Ray Stern, the legislative reporter for the Arizona Republic, Ray, you've been watching what's happening with the State House and the state Senate all night. What is the overall composition of the uh, the chambers looking like as we speak late Tuesday?
3: If the votes were to to stop being counted right now, then Democrats would win uh, House and Senate. Um, everyone would be having a big party. Um, it's it's a breakdown of eighteen to. 12 um, on the Senate side right now. Um, But that's not expected to last. And the the House is uh, up for Democrats by three seats. Um, That's also not expected to last. However, it looks pretty good. Um, And it's certainly better than what I think Democrats were supposed to be looking like right now.
0: So if we presume that the races tighten up with Republican votes still to be counted, Is there anything that really stands out where Democrats seem to be overperforming in a way that could last or where Republicans expect to really kind of hang on to their majorities and add to them in a way that maybe we hadn't anticipated?
3: Well, for your last question, um, I think we'll certainly need to wait until we see another big drop of votes from today's in-person votes because those are expected to be very heavily Republican. As of now, um, I wouldn't even try to speculate that that there's going to be a Republican increase. Um, It's possible still. Um, And these numbers could all flip. We just don't know. But the first thing that comes to mind is the Senate. there are two races out of the five competitive seats that are pretty far apart now between the Democrat and the, and the Republican. And these are uh, two races that we've all been watching because uh, you know, it was kind of expected this this might happen. But we'll preface this by saying we still don't know what's gonna happen, but um, Senator Nancy Bartow is an incumbent who's running against Senator Christine Marsh in um, legislative district four, which includes uh, parts of North Phoenix and Paradise Valley and parts of Scottsdale. Um, and so right now, uh, Marsh is considerably ahead of Bartow to where you just wonder how uh, she's going to make it up. And we've got the same situation going on in Legislative District 9, which is another one of these competitive districts. Um, and this is in West Mesa. Um, retired police officer Robert Scantlebury is also significantly behind nurse Eva Birch, uh, who's a Democrat. And so... Those, those two races, um, just assuming for the, for the second that, uh, that those two races may be won by Democrats, even if the Democrats lost the three other Senate seats that are in the five competitive districts, they're actually doing pretty well in these non-competitive districts. So these are safe Republican seats that could be flipped by Democrats. There was sort of speculation that this could happen in uh, Legislative District 17, mainly for the Senate race, um, and that's um, featuring Republican Justine Wadsack, who basically narrowly beat uh, incumbent Vince Leach in the primary and is now running against a, uh, a pastor, Mike Nicholson, uh, Nickerson, excuse me. And so um, Nickerson is quite a ways ahead of um, Wadsack, not quite as much as in these other two races I was talking about. So it's it's very speculative that, that she could win there, but if she did and or if uh, Democrats won uh, one of these other competitive seats, really all I need is three seats um, to, to basically tie the, the Senate. Um, so I guess that's what I'm getting around to. Um, so, um, it's, I, so I guess it's looking at least potential that they could at least tie the Senate, maybe even do better. Uh, but that's the Senate right there. And so I, you know, we'll be watching those races particularly carefully to see if they get close to flipping.
0: What is the outlook for the House at this point? We know that we have a lot of the pro-democratic vote already accounted for, but as the Republican votes are coming in, do we see anything that seems remarkable about Democratic prospects there or Republican chances of expanding their majority?
3: Hmm. There's uh, a chance that the the Democrats could win the House at this point um if if the uh, if if not enough Republican votes come in. um, they've just got such a such a high number of districts that that they're leading in now. Um, but it's probable that most of those victories are going to be erased when these new numbers come in. So uh, you know i'm just I'm just not seeing anything there in the House that that is making me think that that they're going to uh, tie or win the House. And in fact, there's one negative for them uh, in this whole situation as well, which is that there was a Republican doing a single shot, uh, meaning they're the only Republican running against two Democrats in Legislative District 23. And this is a gigantic district that runs from Yuma to uh, parts of the valley and even includes a little bit of Tucson, if you can imagine that. It just you know, It's a huge sliver of the state. It is mostly Democratic. But a Republican who's running Michelle Pena, she is now basically um, beating one of the Democrats of of the two who are in that House race. So considering that there's still a lot of Republican votes coming in, the fact that she is right now beating a Democrat looks really good for her. And so um, if she wins that seat, then that's just going to make it extra hard for the Democrats to to win a tie in the House, uh, even if they win a bunch of these uh, seats in the competitive districts.
0: I don't, I don't know if we should even get into, like, what would happen if we have mixed chambers or anything like that. It just feels like we're not ready for that yet. Is that?
3: It's probably not ready to talk about that okay. yet. I mean, you know, we're, 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 it would be, let's just say that it would be historic, uh, no question, um, if they tie a chamber even. Um, they haven't tied the Senate, for example, um, since 19, or excuse me, since 2000. So it'd be 22 years since that has happened, um, the House even much longer. Um, and if you want to dream that the Democrats would actually take control of the House and Senate, just realize that that hasn't happened since 1966. Or, or actually, in 66 is when the Republicans took control from the Democrats, and they haven't really given it back since then. Um, there's been a couple of incidences where the Senate um, was won um, in 1976. and 1990, uh, the Democrats controlled the Senate, but not the House. So again, even if they control one chamber or even tie it, it would be pretty historic. But, let's not exactly go there yet. That's still speculative. One thing that I think that we can talk about, which is interesting to me, is that when you look at how far behind Bartow and Scantlebury are, um, it's pretty easy to say that there are two major factors in these races that are probably resulted in the Republican going, you know kind of further behind. And that's abortion and and the Trump factor, basically. Robert Scantlebury in Mesa is the only trump endorsed candidate in the legislature. Um, the other ones are more statewide races. Um, and so I'm, I'm sorry, he's not the only one in the legislature. He's the only one in one of these competitive districts. So there are other Trump endorsed legislative candidates, but they were never really going to get beat by a Democrat. Scantlebury was kind of a test. Um, you know, can a Trump candidate survive in this very diverse, both ethnically as well as um, politically district? And the answer is looking like, no, he can't. Um, you know, again, uh, caveats. Um, And then with Bartow, of course, um, as, as some of the listeners already know, she was the sponsor of the 15-week abortion ban that passed this year that was signed by Governor Ducey. That bill that she sponsored also had a provision that said it does not repeal the 1864 law that completely bans providing abortions and, and includes mandatory prison time for the doctors. So Bartow is pretty much the face of the anti-abortion uh, movement that's, that's going on in the country and certainly here in Arizona. I would say that when you look at this giant split between her and um, incumbent Chris Christine Marsh, I would say again that abortion is is probably a good reason for that. There may be a, another reason too, though, and that's that Christine Marsh is an educator. She has certainly um, been out there boosting public schools, talking about the uh, public school subsidies, uh, the vouchers that that Republicans like Nancy Bartow uh, push, and so that could be another factor that that has uh, uh, that has you know given her you know, some some boost against Bartow right now.
0: Okay, well Ray Stern, thank you so much for going through the legislature. We'll be waiting to see what those final results look like where we can understand better what kind of margins we'll see in both chambers in January. If folks want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you? Just go to at Ray Stern. Now we're joined by Tara Cavaller. Tara, you've been covering the congressional districts across the state, but here on The Gaggle, we've been focused really on four races. That's going to be districts one, two, four, and six, for those of you keeping score. Let's start with the first district. This is located in the Northeast Valley and runs across to North Central Phoenix. That is uh, occupied currently by Representative David Schweikert, a Republican, and he's running against Democrat Jevin Hodges. How does that race look? as we talk late Tuesday?
2: I'm a little surprised by how far ahead Jevin Hodge is. Um, with a little over 30 percent of um, the vote in, he has roughly a 13-point percentage point lead over Schweikert. Now, um, I think there's still reasonable chance that David Schweikert will come out on top as the votes come in, but still Jevin Hodge is doing very well.
0: This is one of the more competitive districts on paper in Arizona under this new uh, map that we're working under. What was this race about? What did both sides sort of say about the others or about the main issues?
2: Well, I think it's about the economy. The first district is one of Arizona's wealthiest districts. It contains Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. And so Uh, the economy has has been a huge issue and that's definitely been a focus of Schweikert. While Hodge has talked about the economy, he's focused a lot on Schweikert's many ethics scandals um, that have plagued him throughout the years. So far, that hasn't been a winning strategy.
0: Okay. So now let's shift to the second district. This is a district that spans much of northeastern Arizona. And this time it goes a little further west into the Prescott Valley. That's a very Republican leaning area that has made this district, which is currently represented by Tom O'Halloran, a Democrat, uh, much more Republican friendly for a challenger like Eli Crane, who's making his first run for office. What's happening in that race as we speak?
2: Tom O'Halloran was the incumbent that got the short end of the stick when it comes to redistricting. He was redistricted into a much uh, more Republican-leaning uh, district. It votes um, Republican 15% more than the country as a whole. And as of November 8th, Crane had a 66 in 100 chance of winning, and Tom O'Halloran had a 34 and 100 chance of winning. And while the results right now indicate that the race is close with Crane holding a slight lead. I guess as more votes are counted, I, I, I anticipate more Republican votes as the night goes on. And so I think that O'Halloran is, I don't think where he wants to be right now.
0: Okay, let's go to the fourth congressional district now. That is basically centered around the Tempe area. We have Democratic incumbent representative Greg Stanton, Running against Republican challenger Kelly Cooper, what is the status of that race?
2: Right now, Stanton is doing very well amongst early votes. Stanton is leading Cooper by almost double, and uh, this is a, while the district is technically very competitive on paper, it isn't really in in reality. The district um, contains parts of Tempe, Phoenix. Um, Mesa as well, and like Ahwatukee Hills, for example. And these areas have um, voted Democratic over the last several elections. So Stanton was always favored to win.
0: Now let's shift to the 6th Congressional District. This is a Tucson-based district that now pulls in all of Cochise County and parts of southeastern Arizona that make it more Republican friendly than what it has been previously. This is a seat that will be open after the retirement of Democratic Representative Ann Kirkpatrick. Right now we see Democrat Kirsten Engel, a former state senator, challenging Juan Siscomani. He is a former Doug Ducey aide. Who's winning in that race?
2: Kirsten Engel is winning right now. Um, and I think she's in um, the best spot she could hope to be in at this point in the night. This was um, McSally's old district. and. Siskomani has been clearly favored to win in this race. Before redistricting, it was considered a swing district, and um, many analysts have said that it no longer is. So, so I think Engel Engel should be really should be happy with where she is at this point. Oh, so also, just really fast for the six. Um, so, Siskomani is the only Republican, other than Jeff Sink in the third district, to have not received a Trump endorsement.
0: So, to summarize, for those of you keeping score. Democrats are leading in three of the four major congressional races at the moment, but that is with Republican-heavy Election Day voting still to be counted. Well, thank you, Tara, for joining us tonight. If people want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you?
2: At Tara.
0: Now we're joined by Yana Kunichov, the K-12 education reporter at the Republic. Yana, a race you've been following this year has really gotten a lot of attention in its own way. We have the superintendent's race between Republican Tom Horn and incumbent Democrat Kathy Hoffman. How does that race look late Tuesday?
5: What we're seeing in the early results is that Kathy Hoffman is leading um, by a not insubstantial amount. Um in front of Republican Tom Horn.
0: So the thing that kind of stands out to me as I'm looking at all the Republicans running statewide tonight is that I'm sort of measuring them all against Carrie Lake. And what we have seen is uh, a drop off in, say, the US Senate race with Blake Masters not following Carrie Lake as closely. We certainly see it in the Secretary of State's race with Mark Fincham as well. With Tom Horn, he seems to be right there with Carrie Lake. Is this surprising that his brand is as durable as hers?
5: No, not at all. I think in many ways Tom Horn has run his campaign on a lot of sort of those same firecracker um, political issues as Carrie Lake. He's gone really hard on... um, critical race theory and whether that's taught in schools on social-emotional learning. And when I spoke to him earlier today and um, you know, asked, like, how is he feeling? He said he was optimistic, but that we should not make any assumptions tonight was his warning. So um, I think he is also look, looking ahead and I think still expecting to catch up.
0: Okay, so let's look ahead for just a moment here um, at both of these candidates. What would it mean if Hoffman got another term? Is there anything agenda-wise that she has spelled out that educators should expect if she wins another four years?
5: Yeah, I think Hoffman's last term was just so intensely marked by um, being the superintendent during the COVID-19 pandemic that I think she was able to put forward some things that were in line with her values. So more access to counselors, um, investing in rural broadband, But I think that she was in crisis mode for a lot of that. So I expect she'll double down on some of those sort of um, like sort of social values based efforts. I do think, um, you know, if there isn't a friendly governor, if there isn't a friendly legislature, she's going to be limited in what she can do. And this time around, she also had federal money to spend on projects that were important to her. And there will be less of that for her next term.
0: Okay, now let's take a look at the other side of that. If Tom Horn wins, what can we expect in a Horn administration for uh, superintendent?
5: Well, I'm going to just take us back in time a little bit to um, Tom Horn's first two runs. I think some of the attack that we saw on ethnic studies program, his efforts to have English only instruction, which were successful for a lot of students. um, I think we're going to see a repeat of that, but I would argue in an even more politicized atmosphere and possibly with state leadership that is supportive of that effort. So I think a lot of um, things could really change on the ground for bilingual students. And then I think for social emotional learning, I think that's something that he has been fairly critical of.
0: One other educational issue that's been in the news a lot has been the question of vouchers. What will the winner of this race mean as far as the future of vouchers, voucher expansion and such?
5: So both... Um, You know, whoever wins will be managing a hugely expanded school voucher program. Um, I think the truth is that even though Kathy Hoffman has been vocal against the program and against the expansion of the program, she's not going to have much choice besides to make it work as well as possible. Um, And traditionally, there has, whoever has run that program has not felt like there is enough staff to do that. Um, So I think it's going to be a challenge for whoever comes in, whether they support it or not.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Jana, for sharing your insights with all of this. If people want to follow your work on Twitter, where can they find you?
5: My Twitter handle is at Y-A-N-A-Z-U-R-E, and please get in touch.
0: That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. We'll be back on Friday with a bonus episode with hopefully more results and analysis of how Election Day went. Thank you to all my Republic colleagues who joined me today. You can find all their work by following them on Twitter, and of course, by subscribing to azcentral.com. And thank you to our listeners who have sent over their comments and concerns about the midterms over the last few months. You can always reach out to The Gaggle via email at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. You can follow her at Amanda Luberto, that's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.